you'd think I'd have this down right by now to like a just, you know, super speedy procedure and have all the keyboard shortcuts, but I don't. So I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to continue on in um, the book of, of First Kings. And as usual, we have a chat box that you can feel free. If your mic is muted, you can feel free to um, just type your, a type of question that you might have as we go through this in the chat box. I hope that I can answer it. I will certainly give it the old college try um, and do my best to answer it. And, uh, and if I don't have an answer for it, then perhaps I can um, find that answer It'd be where we could both learn together. Um, so feel free to type that in the chat box at the end. I'll, I'll ask for questions. And so you can open your mic at the end and, and just ask the question if you'd prefer to do it that way too. That's perfectly acceptable. Um, I just want to remind us of where we were last week and kind of where we've been, where we've been, you know, uh, heading anyway, might help us to review just a little bit. You'll remember that these first two chapters, excuse me, these first two chapters of first Kings, they're, 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 uh, they're sort of a bridge for us in that they're uh, showing the old King David um, parting the world and dying and handing the kingdom off to his successor, which is supposed to be Solomon. And we, we found that out all the way back in first King, I mean, second uh, uh, Samuel, uh, I don't know. It seems like 11 or 12 or so was right about then when uh, God uh, named Solomon, which told us that there's something coming where Solomon is going to be the, the heir apparent. Even though he was a younger sibling in the line, uh, he was going to be the one that God had chosen to be David's successor to the throne and build the temple, um, to, which he's going to do. He's going uh, to establish uh, God's kingdom through Israel uh, on the earth. And, um, so that is going to be, that's going to be Solomon. And the parallels between Solomon and Adam are going to grow. Um, the parallels between the temple and the garden of Eden are going to be, are going to be there as well. That when we're going to explore, explore those as we, as we go, but, um, Solomon is charged with, uh, David and Solomon really are charged with establishing the kingdom of God on earth, um, through the nation of Israel. And so, um, you know, so David's story began all the way back in first Samuel and it's coming to a close here in, uh, it really came to a close in second Samuel, but the author of first Kings, who we think may be at least ancient tradition says Jeremiah wrote a, a significant portion of it. Um, so I would be shocked if that wasn't at least mostly true that he, that he probably did write a significant portion of it. Um, and then it, it may have been compiled later by other people, but, but, um, probably a lot of, a lot from his pen. But, um, you know, all of that coming together, he's picked up David's death again and just draws it out in more specific tones as he passes the torch off to Solomon. But Solomon takes the throne and Adonijah, who is David's, the, actually the next, in, uh, next living son in line uh, for, for David, uh, oldest son in line, um, Adonijah decides he's going to take over the throne. And so he does, and he, or, he, or he attempts to. He attempts to assemble a lot of David's closest people, um, Joab and some others, and tries to bring them together and kind of establish his, you know, sort of set up a banquet of like saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm the king. But 
that doesn't really work too well because Nathan, the prophet, who is not invited, he knows that Solomon is supposed to be the next in line to the throne, uh, realizes, hey, we've got to do something. And so he gets with Bathsheba, and who is Solomon's mother, and tells Bathsheba, you've got to go in uh, to David's room and you've got to, you've got to tell him uh, what's happened and, because he, he probably doesn't know. And you've got to remind him of the promise that he made to Solomon. And then I'm going to come in after you've told him that I'm going to come in and I'm going to say the same thing, uh, basically kind of inundating David with the news of what Adonijah has done. And so David and all of them concoct this plan, basically, where Solomon is placed on David's mule and rides into uh, the city on a donkey. And uh, much like we, we're going to see with Christ later on in the New Testament, he rides into um, town on this time the king's mule. And there it, with Zadok and Nathan, uh, Solomon is anointed as king, which tells all of the people of Israel that, that Solomon is the one that David had chosen to replace him. And so Solomon is, is placed on the throne. And he is uh, basically what, what it seems like the text is trying to tell us is that Solomon is appointed as like a co-regent with David, where he's reigning on the throne with David and will until David dies. We get it, however long that is between the time Solomon is appointed and David it dies. We're not told how long that is. Um, it, it may have been a short period of time. It may have been an extended period of time. But, uh, but we're not given any of those details. David is going to die here at the beginning of, of chapter two. Um, David Maxwell asks, so why did David need to be prompted? Was he infirmed, senile, or oblivious? Um, he was, well, very old, near death, oblivious i would if, if i've given those three options i'm going to go with oblivious um we know that he is we're told in the text that he is uh old enough that his blood's not circulating very well and so he just remains cold no matter how many blankets they bring to him and so that's when they appointed abishag the shunammite to cuddle with him to keep him warm essentially was is how it worked and so um it, I, I think maybe the best way to say it is David is is preoccupied with his own failing health, that he probably is not much of a king on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I think that's the probably the best conclusion that I could make in the text, is sticking as closely as a, to the text as I possibly could. Um, that's probably what I would have to say, is, it, is it, he, he's preoccupied with his own failing health. Um, I mean, you know, so senility doesn't seem to be the case because the plan that he concocts to put Solomon on the throne and to undermine Ad uh, Adonijah in his attempt is, I mean, is brilliant and it shows political acumen. So it wouldn't seem that the text would merit him being senile um, and sick. Perhaps he was sick. I mean, he could have been dying of cancer for all we know, you know, but you know, who, so who knows there? Um, and as far as oblivious, now we've seen David in the past be a little bit oblivious to some things. 
And, um, but, but so who knows with, with that, but I, I think it, it, his failing health has just put him in a place where he can't really do it. So that also probably lends, lends some credence to the fact that Solomon is appointed as a, you know, some sort of um, uh, co-regent on the, on the throne that Solomon probably is doing some significant things on the throne while David is still alive. Last week, I didn't quite get to chapter 2, 1 to 12, where David dies. We didn't read it. And so I want to do that this week. So we, we killed David last week. We're going to bring him back and we're going to you know, put him in the grave again, unfortunately. But, um, but so I want to do that and, uh, so that we can kind of look at how Solomon gains the throne and how he's going to establish uh, himself on the throne or how the Lord's going to establish him, I should say. Um, so the first thing that we need to say is that there's two parts to what David is going to tell Solomon. And the first part of it deals with Solomon's commitments to the Lord. What Solomon has it needs to do, David's going to charge him, you, you've got to do this. You've got to be sure that you do this. And the second part of what he's going to convey covers how Solomon is going to secure the kingdom. We talked a little bit about this last week, but uh, I just want to reiterate it again this week. So first part is his commitments to the Lord. Second part is how he's going to secure his kingdom. And, you know, the, what David is going to tell him is, is a rather significant thing because um, he cannot secure the kingdom. And this is sort of the under, underlying, um, I guess you would say, takeaway from 1 to 12 is he can't secure the kingdom unless he solidifies his commitments to the Lord and unless he keeps his commitments to the Lord. And we're actually going to see this advice bear out over the long haul of Solomon's, Solomon's life as a king because, you know, eventually he's going, he's going to see that, yeah, his kingdom is not nearly as secure as, as he might think it is so long as his commitments to the Lord are, are, are uh, fluctuate, let's say, or, or are, not, are not stable. So let's, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When David's time drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes and his, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, how he dealt with the, so we're in the second part now, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in uh, in time of peace blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace, but deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they, meet, they met with me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And, you, uh, and there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bahurim. 
who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do with him, and, and you shall bring his head, gray head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. At the, at the time, at the, in the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now, just as a reminder, I've said this before, but it bears repeating now. Um, this is by the best, uh, I think, chronology that you can establish in um, the Old Testament. This is about 971 BC is when this happens. So just to, you can make a note to yourself or just remember this is 971. David took the throne in 1011 BC. And so 40 years later, 971 BC um, is when Solomon begins to reign on the throne and when David dies. And you can see those two things that I'm talking about there, the, the, where David makes that apparent um, and, and where the Lord is basically telling him, if you do these things, then the Lord will establish, if you're, if, if, um, if you walk in and keep his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in, every, uh, in all that you do, that the Lord will establish you. If you walk before you in faithfulness, if the people walk before me in faithfulness, and back to Deuteronomy 6, if they love me with their heart and with their soul, then you'll never lack a man on the throne. So this is, David's telling him that your commitments to the Lord are contingent, your, your kingdom, sorry, your kingdom being established is contingent on your commitment to following the Lord with all of your heart, following after Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, right? Um, and so um, what I think is really interesting here, it, it, you know, you have a lot of books in our culture that is, you know, biblical manhood. What is biblical manhood? And, you know, um, what, it, what does it really look like? David's pretty clear what biblical manhood looks like. It's uh, keeping the Mosaic Covenant or more specific, keeping the Mosaic Covenant would be, putting it in a kind of Old Testament language, but David says pretty specifically, keeping his statutes, his rules, his laws, uh, following after the Lord. Uh, we might basically sum that up by saying obedience to God is biblical manhood. Um, so it's, there you go. The shortest book on biblical manhood ever written. Uh, it's <laughs> simple as obedience to God. I think it can be summed up that way, but I, th I think that's a, a, a really good, um, command of a father to his son is none of this is going to matter if you disobey the Lord. If you follow after idols, and then none of this is going to matter. And who better to tell him that than David? Uh, we don't need somebody who's perfect telling Solomon, therefore be perfect. We need somebody who will knows just what infidelity to the Lord um, will get you. And I mean, David's whole kingdom we've seen since, um, for, since second Samuel, you know, chapter 11 and the affair with Bathsheba came spiraling downhill all after that, you know, pattern of disobedience. And all of his sons basically are dead because of their, um, their well, disobedience to their father or their, their, um, 
craziness, I guess is the way, the best way to sum it up. Um, but it, but it starts with David's disobedience. And so he's telling, he's telling Sam Solomon out of experience, you know, this is the way that you prosper. Um, not the way I did it in other words. Um, and don't, don't do as I say, not as I do, I guess is the best way to put that. Um, so David states two vital benefits that are going to result from Solomon's obedience. And first is that he will prosper in everything he attempts. And we're going to see this over the course of, of Solomon's kingdom. At the beginning, he is more or less uh, um, obedient and prosperous, perhaps doesn't even begin to describe Solomon's kingdom. This is the richest there will ever be is under Solomon's reign for sure. But obedience will also ensure like what he said, God's ongoing pleasure with David's family. This is where we start to see things slip off the rails. God is going to be faithful to David's family, and David's line will not leave the throne. And there will be a dynastic succession from Solomon, where he they will have a, a he will have a king on the throne. But we are going to see that they commit some grievous sins, and the the throne gets more or less shaky. And to the point where they're ultimately going to be led not only to split the nation right after Solomon, but ultimately be led into captivity in Babylon, um, you know, a few hundred years from now. And so, uh, which is a, a, a huge pivotal moment in the biblical storyline. And so, but David's telling, look, if you're obedient to the Lord, if you follow after the Lord, then we'll never lack a man on the throne. And, you know, you will establish essentially God's rule and his reign on the earth. And, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed is essentially the, the kind of undercurrent the going on there from the Abrahamic covenant. So David's political advice begins with, what, what does he say? Well, one is the elimination of Joab. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of speculation that we could say is like, why Joab? Why, why would you really care if Joab's eliminated? Well, one probably is he mentions that Abner and Amasa are the ones that he's, uh, he's specifically, you know, uh, is, is the reasoning behind Joab's, uh, behind Solomon having to put Joab to death. Uh, you remember Abner was the one who supported Ishbosheth, Saul's, um, heir or Saul's uh, son and Ishbosheth tried to take the throne and tried to lead the northern tribes away from David and that's the reason David reigned uh, for um, se seven years in Hebron uh, before moving to Jerusalem was beca mainly because of Ishbosheth and the northern kingdom that was with him well Abner was his general his main you know advisor whatever you want to say his chief you know kind of chief advisor and Abner eventually saw the merits in, uh, once Ishbosheth was dead, in kind of groveling at David's feet and, and kind of making peace. And when, when Abner came to make peace with David, David was fine with it. He, he was okay with making peace. And Joab was like, nah. -uh. <laughs> so, you know, Joab went after him and was like, kind of behind David's back, uh, just killed Abner. And it caused David a lot of political turmoil in the kingdom because now he had to take the northern tribes and help them see he wasn't responsible for Abner's death, that he didn't order it, he didn't command it, he was ready to make peace. And so there was a lot of like, there, there was a lot of political maneuvering that David had to do because Joab put him in a really tight spot. And then you'll remember Amasa was more recent 
when uh, when Absalom came in and drove um, drove David away, Amasa was Absalom's appointed general. And so when David came back into the land, he took Amasa, who is from the tribe of Judah, and put him over his own armies as probably a way of making peace between him and the tribe of Judah and making sure everything was okay. He put somebody from Absalom's kingdom, quote unquote kingdom, on his uh, staff, as it were, as his head of his, his army. Joab obviously didn't like that too much and went and killed Amasa and took over the armies. And so the, the, it's interesting that the biblical text up until that point doesn't tell us anything about David's awareness of this happening, David's uh, anger at it happening, or anything like that, or that David's even aware Joab did this. And so um, he is with, with Abner, for sure he does know that. But then with Amasa, it, it's not really clear what David knows or what he doesn't know or how mad he is. But then on his deathbed, we find out, oh, no, he's pretty mad. <laughs> mad enough, in fact, that he's like, okay, Solomon, I, I, you know, I kind of bided my time for long enough. You're going to have to take care of this. So potentially one reason for that is to give people once and for all the understanding, I didn't kill Abner and Amasa. I didn't order that killing. Joab acted a fool, and his death is going to prove that he acted a fool. But then there's this other part of, of it that I think is even more prominent, that it rids the kingdom of the guilt of unavenged innocent blood. Basically, it's, it, you know, if, if somebody had killed an individual that was innocent, so like Abner and Amasa, both were innocent, um, then you are, you are to put them to death. And if you don't put them to death, then you risk the Lord's wrath being upon the nation for not exercising the Mosaic law. What we have to understand about the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, it is unflinchingly rigid. It is not really a law of mercy, so, so to speak. It is eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It is meant to demonstrate how impossible it is for the people to actually obey uh, the will of the Lord. And so, um, so yeah, it, it be, it's, it's a, it's a, um, you know, it, that in, it meant that Joab had to be eliminated. And so he's going to do that. And then there's also, uh, you know, Barzillai is left alone and he's told, told, Hey, Bennett, bless him because he, he blessed me when David was exiled. Barzillai was one that took care of him, the Gileadite. Um, and, but then Shimei, Shimei, um, uh, you know, he, he was the one that cursed David on his way out. He's also a Benjaminite. He thought that David took the throne, um, you know, improperly. And so killing him lets the whole nation know that, you know, pro-Saul, anti-David sentiments are not going to be tolerated. And so David is basically teaching Solomon how to reduce the risk that old factions will mount challenges to his authority. Because, you know, as uncomfortable perhaps as, as these texts make us of David, you know, going after and avenging um, these people who've kind of done him wrong, I suppose, on his deathbed. Um, as uncomfortable as that might make us, the reality is that he is the appointed man by God 
to establish God's rule and his reign on the earth. And Solomon is the appointed heir. And people that resist that don't merely resist David. They also resist the Lord. And so challenges to that authority um, are, are going to be dealt with and need to be dealt with. The Lord was not sheepish to punish the people that resented Moses. You remember that? When God appointed Moses, he appointed Moses for that task. And when people mounted up in rebellion against Moses, when they griped and complained and this, that, and the other, he opened up the earth and swallowed them whole. Uh, he cursed them a couple of times. So there's all kinds of things that were done um, that, that kind of showed God's favor towards the appointed person. We've got a couple of questions here. Um, so why did David wait until now to do these things? Well, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Honestly, I really don't know. Uh, I could take a stab at it, but, you know, um, but I, I, I'm not sure. You know, you could say, well, the killing of Joab coming back into the, the land, the killing of Joab um, might have thrown the kingdom into more political turmoil than, than, al than already needed. Um, there's some debate about how old David is when all of this takes place, because um, some put all of this stuff in like the last year of David's reign. Uh, I think that's probably not I don't know that that's right. Um, uh, most everyone agrees that it's probably within the last decade, at least, of his reign and probably getting closer to the last five years. And so um, who knows, you know, David might have been like, I'm going to die soon. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to do that just yet. Um, perhaps he's leaving it for Solomon because that would have that would have established Solomon's throne and kind of, he would have come in pretty strong dealing with some of the enemies that are still out there. Um, but honestly, you know, it's a lot of speculation. I, I'm not entirely sure why he waited until now to do that. Um, sorry, that's not a great answer, but uh, Babs asked, why wasn't Shimei part of Adonijah's team if he was anti-David? Well, he kind of was. Um, uh, let me think about uh, what you just asked. Oh, why he wasn't part of Adonijah's team. Well, he wasn't, we don't know that he really wasn't. Um, I also don't know um, 2 Samuel 19, 23, David appears to forgive Shimei, you shall not die. So what gives? He mentions that to Solomon. Um, let me answer Babs first. As far as Shimei not being a part of Adonijah's team, um, I'm, you know, I'm, we're not really... Sure. Um, it doesn't, I mean, Adonijah is David's kid. Um, Solomon is David's kid. Shimei seems to be pro-Saul. Um, so this, he's kind of anti-David altogether. And um, so, you know, I don't know that he really has a dog in the hunt, so to speak. Um, but I don't know that that's the reason either. I, that would just be my, my own uh, guess, I guess. Uh, second Samuel, David asks why, so David seems to forgive Saul. He says, you shall not die. So it gives, well, that certainly is the reason why he doesn't kill Shimei, uh, because he promised him he wouldn't. Um, but he's basically telling Solomon, I didn't promise him you wouldn't. <laughs> that's, that's basically what the text is saying. 
Uh, David doesn't promise Shimei that he won't be killed, just that David won't kill him. And um, so, you know, uh, he, he tells Solomon. Now, we're going to see also what Solomon does with Shimei, which is sort of interesting, I, th- I think. And it's, it's not specifically stated in the text, but you can tell based on what he does, uh, what, what his intentions are. Um, so maybe we'll get to a fuller answer by the, by the time we get to the end. Uh, so bear with me. Um, now, killing Shimei also lets the populace know, oh, wait, no, sorry, I'm, I passed that. Um, among the threats of, uh, uh, first among the threats of Solomon's throne is uh, Adonijah, we, we know who is, you know, satanically attempts to uh, seize David's nurse. So Adonijah, this is moving past where we were last week. Adonijah is going to make one last play. Remember, da- uh, Solomon told him, hey, look, I'll spare your life as long as you're nice. As long as you just want to go away and, and, you know, just do nothing. I have no desire to kill my own brother. So, you know, that's fine. Just go away. And Adonijah seems to kind of go, okay, great, sweet deal, and leaves. But he's going to make a play, and he, I'm going to put the word here, satanically attempts to seize David's nurse, um, Abishag. You'll remember Abishag. So he's going to use Bathsheba as an intermediary. Um, and there's a, this is very interesting uh, of, of different connections that I think are going on here in terms of biblical theology that are sort of alluded to in the text that are, will slip past you if you're not paying attention. But he uses Bathsheba to go in and ask Solomon for Abishag. Remember Abishag the, um, is, is the nurse that was there to cuddle with David. The text told us David knew her not. And I think that's important for us, the reader, to understand uh, what's happening here. So let's read 1 Kings 2, 13 to 18. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, do you come peacefully? He said, peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brothers, for it was uh, his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. He said, please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. And Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. All right, Bathsheba's not picking up what he's laying down. And so maybe he knows that. And so he go he goes to her for that reason, but um, some thi- there are a couple of things that are that are really interesting about this. Um, based on the charge of his father David, Solomon is going to act here as the true Adam, and firmly establish God's kingdom by carrying out vengeance against Adonijah for what he asks, because he tried to become king at the stone of the serpent. Now, look at this back in 1 Kings 1, 9. This is the previous chapter. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent's stone, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and the royal officials to Judah. Now, that's interesting. He's, he, here he is trying to take the kingdom away from God's appointed person by sacrificing all these things at the serpent's stone, 
um, which you've seen the serpent, right? Affect God's kingdom before in the past, right? So um, <laughs> come sneaking in unawares. And who does he, who does he tempt first? The serpent in Genesis? Well, he comes in and he tempts the woman who then hands to her husband who is there with him. And so this is obviously a mother and son. Um, this is not an, an allegory, but sort of a, a type, as it, as it were, um, coming to us, I think, here, where here is this kind of one who would destroy the kingdom, Adonijah, coming to get um, uh, Abishag the Shunammite. Now, what is Ab- what, what's the harm in this? You know, I mean, why would this be such a big deal? Well, if you to make advances for Abishag probably suggests that Adonijah was renewing his claim to the throne. You'll remember, I think, when Absalom marches into the city of Jerusalem, uh, he went after David's concubines. Now, we the reader know David did not know, biblically know, uh, Abishag. But there's no indication that the rest of the kingdom doesn't know that. So odds are high that Adonijah assumed Abishag was the last wife slash concubine of David. And he is going to ask for Abishag so that he can demonstrate to the kingdom who is the more powerful man in this situation in that he has David's concubines. Um, again, these are not comfortable things to really talk about. And, uh, you know, but that's the way, the way it worked and what it would have demonstrated. And so what is clear is that Solomon uh, took it that way. Whether she was a concubine or not, she was intimately associated in the people's minds with David. And so it's clear that Solomon took the, re- the request of Adonijah this way, that it was a threat to his kingdom. And so he could only, uh, you know, so to speak, crush the head of the serpent. And so that's exactly what he does. Look at 1 Kings 2, 19 to 25. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and he and had a, a seat brought for the king's mother. And she sat on his right. And she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, and why do you ask uh, ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah. Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. And on his side are Aviathar, the, the priest, uh, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah. Then, the, then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God, do so to me, and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house as he has promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. Uh, So Solomon clearly took that as a clear threat to his kingdom. And so he took care of it. 
because of that, because he is attempting, he's making an attempt on the throne, as benign as it seems. And I think, honestly, it, Bathsheba probably does not know. Um, I, 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 in my head, I imagine Bathsheba to be one of these people that just thinks the best of everybody and just kind of thinks everybody is being kind and, and is being forthright and doesn't think, uh, you know, ulterior motives of anybody. That's kind of in my head. That's at least what I picture her as. And, um, and I, so I, she probably very innocently asks Solomon for this, but Solomon being wise, and we're going to see in subsequent chapters where God has given to him wisdom, is able to discern what's really at play here and that Adonijah is making a play for the throne. And so he has him put to death. Um, the second threat to Solomon uh, that Solomon seeks to squelch is Abiathar, the high priest, who had originally supported Adonijah's claim to the throne. Remember, Abiathar was the high priest under David, and he went uh, with Adonijah and supported Adonijah's claim to the throne over Solomon's claim. Now, as far as we know, he was always loyal to David, but once David was off the throne, he had apparently no loyalties to Solomon coming up and thought Adonijah deserved the throne anyway. And so he went after Adonijah and is there at the banquet when, when Adonijah is informed that Solomon has been anointed king in his place. And so Solomon may have perceived Abiathar and Joab both to be behind Adonijah's request. Because for whatever reason, he uses this opportunity to kind of seek out the, the, the heads of, if you will, of, of uh, Abithar and, um, and Joab. So look at um, 1 Kings 2, 26 and 27. And to Abithar, the, the priest, uh, the king said, go to Anathoth to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death because you carried... <clears throat> excuse me, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David, my father, and because you shared in my affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word the Lord, that, the Lord, that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Now, you uh, may remember this. That comes from 1 Samuel um, and... Uh, I think I have it on here on the list somewhere. Uh, oh yeah, I've got it down in the next one. So I'll wait for that one. Um, but um, so uh, he, he's using this as an opportunity to go after um, Avithar and to go after Joab, but he treats him gently, treats Avithar gently by just sending him to, uh, to Anathoth because, um, but he uses this, the, the term that, that the author uses for his sending away is the same term as this the exodus uh in egypt the exile from eden or the dismissal of cain from the land so it's the the connotation if you will of avithar being sent to anathoth is not like hey go retire in peace and i'm not going to touch you this is you have been exiled you've been banished you have been sent away 
And um, in the same way as the children of Israel were, were sent in, in Exodus in Egypt, were exiled from Eden or Cain dismissed from the land of Genesis, that same word. So it has, it has these extremely negative connotations. Uh, so this is not a peaceful sending away. But he, he treats him kindly because by all, by all accounts here, he had helped carry or had something to do with the ark of the Lord being carried. And so Solomon recognizes he's a priest. And he has some sort of duty before the Lord. And so he's going to let him be in exile. He's going to let him live, but he's going to still be in exile. And, um, and this also fulfills what the Lord had promised to uh, Eli about the house of Eli, the priest. And that's all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where Eli and his sons are really wicked. And he promises to remove the sons of Eli from the, the priesthood. Well, uh, here, Aviathar is the last one. And so he's removed from the line and this fulfills what was spoken there um, of, by God about, about the house of Eli, that author tells us. So um, the next is Joab. We get to Joab, who is this last prominent member of the conspiracy. And when he realizes what's happening, when he sees Aviathar is banished, when he sees, uh, when he sees uh, Adonijah has been killed, Joab... Uh, flees to the sanctuary, uh, where literally the idea of claiming sanctuary comes. And, um, and, but, so, and Joab, he refused to come, refuses to come down from the altar, and Solomon treats him as a murderer. And, and it's kind of that, you remember the expression, uh, you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? This is sort of like that, except maybe more extreme. Going and grabbing the horns of the altar is basically like saying, you wouldn't hit a guy who's standing here before the altar of the Lord, would you? And Solomon treats him as a murderer and uh, takes him from the altar and executes him. Uh, he doesn't. He has it done. But um, let's, let's read that in, in uh, 1 Kings um, 2, 28 to 35. Uh, and when news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. Um, and when it was told King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar, Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. But he said, No, I will die here. Probably thinking, I won't die here. And then Benaiah brought the king word, saying, Thus Joab said, and thus he answered me. The king replied to him, do as he said, as, as he has said, strike him down and bury him and thus take him away from me and from my father's house, the guilt uh, for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head because without knowledge of my father, David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself. Abner, the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood uh, come back on the head of Joab and on the head of the descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him down and put him to death, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab, and the king put Zadok, in the, uh, the priest, in place of Aviathar. Um, 
Okay, so he goes in and uh, strikes him down and, and treats him as a murderer, pulls him out from the, uh, from the altar, even though he's grabbed the horns of the altar and claiming sort of sanctuary. Um, he kills him because he says the Lord's going to return his own blood on his own head. And he, tell, he tells him, look, we're not going to be held responsible for this. Yahweh is bringing his blood back on his own head. He killed innocent men, and we're going we're gonna to kill him for doing that. And so that he, Solomon is, is, I guess you would say, justified in his actions and, um, and basically, like I said before, is seeking to not only put him to death, but ensure that the, that the kingdom of Israel doesn't receive any blowback for, uh, for letting him live because he's shed innocent blood. Now, then there's this last uh, bit with Shimei. Um, Shimei, is, Solomon declares that um, he, the same deal as Joab, that uh, Yahweh is going to return your evil on your own head, but he confines Shimei to a city of refuge. He confines him to uh, Jerusalem, but if he leaves the city, Solomon is going to have him executed. Now, I'll, I'll explain this in just a minute, but um, let's, let's look at the passage here in 1 Kings 2. 36 to 46. Um, the, then the king sent, a, sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, build, your, uh, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. And do not go out from there uh, to any place whatever. For on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, what, say, what you say is good. As my Lord, the king has said, so will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. But it happened at the end of the three years that, that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And when it was told Shimei, uh, and it was told Shimei, behold, your servants are in Gath. Shimei arose, saddled a donkey, and went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants. Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, No, for certain that on the day you go out and go to any place, whatever, you shall die? And you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why then have you not kept your oath to the Lord and the commandment with which I commanded you? The king also said to Shimei, you know in your heart all the harm that you did to David, my father. So the Lord will bring, bring back your harm on your own head. But King Solomon will be, shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. The, then the king commanded Benai, uh, Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went and out and struck him down, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Okay, so what is going on here? Why would you be so weird about where you're going to strike him down? Well, um, as I said, he's, get, he's sending uh, Shimei to a city of refuge rather than putting him to death. It, now, you're going to have to think back. Um, just a little ways uh, to remember this, but back in the, in the law, there is a provision in the land for someone who has committed um, um, 
what's what's the word manslaughter that if he's done it accidentally without without real intention of killing then um the the closest relative to the person whose blood was shed as i said you know the law of moses uh eye for an eye tooth for a tooth even if you accidentally killed him or accidentally slaughtered a man um you 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 can be killed and so the closest relative is responsible for carrying out the justice eye for an eye justice and putting you to death however there were provisions in the law for just such a case where if a person promised to go to a city of refuge um, and basically claim sanctuary in that city, and there were certain cities that were able to be used as a city of refuge, Jerusalem being one, they could live there and they wouldn't be touched. And they were, and I'm not kidding about this, and I'm not trying to be political here, they were sanctuary cities. That's where that term comes from um ironically but they they were um so essentially they they lived there and they were able to live there and so solomon gives him a sanctuary city that he can live in because you'll remember what solomon is referring to of what he did to david was not just cursed him he threw rocks at him he attempted to stone david um and so by throwing by by doing that and doing all the things that he did uh, Solomon took it, Solomon was willing to take it, let's say out of grace and mercy, you might say, willing to take it not as attempted murder, but as attempted manslaughter. Essentially, he's being, I guess you would say, kind of lenient here. But he put him in the sanctuary city and basically said, if you leave the sanctuary city, well, then you can be killed. And Solomon, being David's closest blood relative, essentially, um, his own son, is responsible for carrying out or seeing to it that that the vengeance is carried out. And so he leaves at some point, just perhaps absentmindedly, or perhaps he knows that he'll be killed uh, all in all likelihood if you've stayed in a city for three years, knowing that if you left it, you were gonna die. When you leave it, he's probably thinking, I can get there and back pretty quick and I won't be caught. And uh, well, that turned out to not be true. And so he, uh, he went and Solomon had him killed. Now, uh, immediately before Adonijah's demise, Sol we see this verse at the beginning. So there's these brackets in the text of, of 1 Kings chapter 2. So all the way back to 24, where we see these sort of brackets, I guess you would say, in the text. And the first is claims that Yahweh had established Solomon on the throne, Second King or First Kings two twenty four. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has uh, who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. Now at the very end, then the king commanded Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him dead, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So it's very clear what when you pay when you just open your eyes and you pay attention to these sections of text what you can see is that the author is cluing you in as to what his point is in this whole thing why has he written this for us and why has he recorded this well it's obviously to show you 
how the Lord has established the kingdom in the hand of Solomon, how he has put him on his throne and how he has established the kingdom in the, in the hands of Solomon. And what becomes clear is that if the kingdom is to be secure, the threats against it must be neutralized. I want you to think about this for just a second. If the kingdom is going to be secure, the threats against it must be neutralized. Now we know that these kings, David, Solomon, are a type. We've talked about type before, but they're, they're a, you might, we might use the word prototype. Uh, that's a more familiar term for us. But they are a prototype of Christ to come who is going to establish God's kingdom once and for all and fully and, and fully realize God's kingdom. We know of Christ establishing God's kingdom in so far, what we would say probably is two phases. First coming, the inauguration of that kingdom when it begins, and then ultimately what hasn't happened yet, the consummation of that kingdom that's coming in the end. What is very clear to us in Revelation, but that when the kingdom is consummated and the kingdom is secured, what has to be accomplished first? All the threats to the kingdom have to be neutralized. Jesus is going to come in and do fully what Solomon only as a prototype did back then, which is eradicate evil together, uh, the uh, Satan, the beast, the false prophet, throw them into the lake of fire. All evil, all threats to the kingdom, go with them. Um, all sin and death, all vanquished. So all threats to the kingdom are going to be neutralized when Christ consummates the kingdom at the end of all things. And we see that this whole thing is, is building towards that. And so you get these, um, and, and some of this may be new to, to many of you as we talk about types and this connection back to Adam squashing the head of the serpent and, uh, and Solomon coming in and, and squashing the head of serpents, th things like that. It, it seems a little bit weird to you. And perhaps you might be thinking to yourself, I mean, what are the odds that that's actually happening here in the text? I mean, what are the odds that, that, that just something that, you know, like that happens again. But remember, we're talking about God ruling history and bringing about history's conclusion in Christ. So what we see as evident throughout the Old Testament is a lot of these things that have happened before, exile or exodus, and then uh, exile from gar the Garden of Eden, exodus in Egypt, exile into Babylon, all are, are closely connected and all share that same theme. But God is the one bringing about these uh, re repeating history, if you will, demonstrating to the children of Israel time and again this solid truth that you don't have the heart to actually obey me. You can't do it. The fall is real. You are, you need saving. And I'm going to prove this to you over and over because you're time and again going to fall susceptible to the serpent's whims. And you're going to see this in kings, 
going after idols, in kings, going after women, in the nation, going after idols, in the nation, going after foreign women, in the nation, going after other gods and all of this kind of stuff and, and worshiping idols. They're falling for the devil's tricks time and time and time again. But then what happens? Christ comes in and establishes the kingdom, removes the heart of stone from his people and gives them a heart of flesh so that they can obey. And what do we see is different in Revelation? That the beast now stands up and all of the people of the earth bow down and worship him, except the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They don't bow down and worship. Once Christ establishes the kingdom and establishes it in the hearts of his people so that they obey, this time when the devil plays his tricks, the church doesn't bow down and worship it. They, the, the church doesn't go after, the, the people of God don't go after these, you know, foreign gods or these, you know, um, uh, false women or women that want to lead them into idolatry. So what we have in Christ, what we have in Solomon, I should say, is a prototype of what we're going to see to come, where Solomon is going to fall off the rails, but Christ establishes fully once and for all. So questions? I'm going to get out of screen share here. You can unmute your microphone if you want, or I think I, I don't know where my chat window went, so let's see. Yeah, here we go. No questions? Yeah, question. All right, go ahead, Sean. So, so I just, this, the Shimmy character, you know, I find kind of, kind of interesting and, um, uh, you know, Solomon's approach with, uh, you know, put him in a sanctuary city, right? Um, but was the sanctuary city uh, for just if you killed somebody or is it, or is it any kind of like law break? Because Shimmy didn't kill David. No, he didn't kill David. Um, and so this is, this is where it gets kind of like, we're not told explicitly, but I, I, I think this is what's going on. And, and other people have pointed this out too. I'm not alone in this. But um, uh, he, 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 it's like he attempted to. It's like attempted murder. Um, but it's attempted murder against the king. And so um, uh, what, what we're seeing apparently is that that brought about the death penalty, that that merited the death penalty. And so Solomon is basically willing to give him leniency for what essentially amounts to attempted murder. Um, so now whether attempted murder is called out in the law explicitly um, as someone deserving death, I am not sure on that. But um, David thought it did, apparently Solomon thought it did, and apparently the Lord thought it did because he didn't punish, you know, Solomon for, do, for doing that and, uh, you know, it didn't come back on him. So I guess that's about how I'd answer it. Well, kind of, kind of related to that, kind of what you were sharing there at the end as David and Solomon being prototypes for Christ and, and sort of things that happen with their kingdom, maybe reflecting uh, Christ's kingdom. Uh, so in the context of Shimei, I, you know, I kind of wonder, you know, if you mentioned that, if 
you know, it's kind of, you know, the, the law is now, or, you know, applied like, like Christ talked about the law, right? So if you just think about murdering somebody or, you know, in your heart, then you've murdered them. Yeah. And I mean, it's clear that, that Shimei would have preferred David dead. Um, Couple that with the actions. uh, I think that they're, you know, there's at least, you know, if, if somebody attempted to assassinate the king, uh, he'd be killed, you know, uh, no, no question. And so, um, so, you know, I think, and even when they, when it's happening to David, David's getting pelted with rocks and getting cursed. Um, uh, his, um, his right hand man at the time, Joab's brother, and I can't think of his name now off the top of my head for whatever reason, but anyway, Joab's brother, Go, goes after him and is like, do you, do you want me to take off his head? Do you want me to kill him? I'll go kill him right now, you know? And uh, so, so it, 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 it's apparent that the death penalty was merited and wouldn't be thought strange in a situation like this. And so, yeah, I mean, look, the judgment that Christ is going to bring on the people who rebel against his, against the kingdom of God uh, in the last days is people that had a murderous thought. So, and, and, and didn't have Christ as their advocate, you know? So, yeah. So, I mean, the, the law is much stricter uh, when Christ comes in and, and levels it. So, yeah, good question. All right. Well, let's pray. Okay. Somebody else has a question? Well, I was just saying there's such a pattern in, in the whole Samuel narrative of don't, don't uh, reach out your hand against the Lord's anointed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's abundantly clear. I mean, I think, I think abundantly clear in that sense of like, man, you do that. And the Lord's opened the earth and swallowed people all before for, you know, for doing that kind of thing. So, you know, all bets are off. You start throwing rocks at the King. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, did I miss out where you, where you talked about first Samuel second, 27 to 36? First Samuel. Where that? Oh, first Samuel. I didn't read it because of time, but um, that's where Eli is. Or it's basically told that Eli's heirs won't be on the throne. I put the right verse down, didn't I? Did I? Yeah. 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 That that's just that's a promise for Eli for his negligence in raising his own sons. Remember, his sons are wicked and they're they're awful and they're eating. They're eating people's sacrifices. They're eating meat, and they're they're uh, they're raping women in the temple, um, and uh, like sleeping with with women that come into the temple. And uh, they both die in battle on the same day. They go down there uh, in battle. Oh, okay, I was trying to connect that with Abathar, and I and I didn't know where I was getting confused there. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a part of Eli's progeny. He's one of Eli's distant relatives. And so okay. when he dies, that fulfills what the Lord said. You're gone. Your whole line's gone. But you notice it took, okay. it took uh, you know, 100 years for, for the Lord to fulfill that. So, you know, it's like over, over it's not overnight. <laughs> so anyway. All right, let's, let's pray. And then we'll, we'll just I am, yeah, I am sorry. You, I forgot to mention earlier. Can you pray? Can y'all pray for Emily's um, mother? She's in the hospital right now, 
in Panama City. Um, she's had breathing issues, so she has she ha she has heart issues and she has diabetes, and then she has asthma issues. So she kind of does not need to get COVID um, at all, and she's oh, in the hospital right now. But yeah, absolutely. Her name's uh, Renee. She's supposed to be coming home Friday. She's on steroids, and they she's she's kind of slowed down a little bit. Her breathing's gotten a little bit better, and but she's still coughing a good bit. But yeah, just pray for her. She don't really have any visitor besides her husband, so she's kind of lonely. But just pray for her. So. Okay, we'll do. Let's pray. Right. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we pray for Renee, uh, who's battling some illnesses right now in the hospital. We pray that you protect her from uh, coronavirus. We pray that you would um, heal her body, that she may get out quickly uh, before, you know, anything like that would, would um, that she would contract anything like that. We pray that you would keep her healthy and, um, and heal her body. We also thank you for an opportunity to come back, come together and just study your word and talk and um, ask questions and, and interact over the text of, of your word and um, man, it's, it's always such a blessing to me, uh, to just, to just be able to do and, uh, teach and look from a different angle at your word. And so I'm, I thank you for it. And I pray that you would, um, bless the word, uh, as it sits on our heart and as we think about it, um, that you would just encourage us and help us to grow in sanctification, uh, and in Christ likeness. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. See y'all. Bye-bye. Have a good